And we're walking through the Lord's Prayer. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed or taught his disciples to pray when they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what we've done is we've broken it up into these six segments. We've broken the prayer down because there are truths in these that we as disciples of Jesus Christ need to know. And we need to know that they actually reveal the character and the nature of God. So who's been enjoying this series? Who's actually implemented a little bit more prayer in their life because of this series? You know, I know I have, but here's the thing. Just because you implement more prayer in your life, it doesn't mean all of a sudden your life becomes perfect. Like things still happen, right? But the comfort for me is including more prayer in my life is the fact that God's actually with me in those trials. God's with me in those things that I'm struggling with. And I'm actually inviting him in, not only to help me with the situation, but actually help me reorientate my heart towards him and towards others. And so that's why we're in this series. And can I just say that um, before I move on, before I get into the message, it's such a blessing to be a pastor of a church where I can go away for two weeks and not worry about church one bit the whole time I've gone because of the beautiful congregation, the volunteers we have here and leaders. We've had David preach, Katie preach, we had Mike last week, we got Beck next week. How blessed are we with all the leaders and volunteers that we have here? Can we give them a bit of an appreciation? So before we start the sermon, let's read the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And today we're actually going to be looking at Verse 12, we're going to focus on forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. But before I start, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me? Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, I know for myself and and for all of us here, we need to come and ask for forgiveness. Lord, we sin. We sin against you and we sin against others. But Lord, Help me preach this message with grace and truth and love, with the reality of your forgiveness and your restoration and your grace. Lord, that in the end they wouldn't look to me, but they only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it wasn't long after I'd become a Christian that I had a test of faith. And my wife at the time, I'd been a Christian for a few years, and then she'd just come to faith and we had a bit, of a, a bit of a tragedy. Years prior, we had set up a self-managed super fund. There was this company that was setting up self-managed super funds for people. And you would set up a fund and you'd buy a property in their developments. And so it was looking forward in the years ahead that this property would gain value. And we got a phone call from the ATO. The ATO says, or it might have been a letter. I can't remember. Was it a letter or a phone call? One of the two, anyway. And they said, you've set this up illegally. This is all wrong. You're going to have to either rectify it or pay a massive fine. And we were like, well, we didn't set it up. This company set it up for us. And we went to find the company. They disappeared. And the ATO goes, yeah, we know about these people. They do that. They set it up. They just get average people. You invest in their stuff and they disappear. And, but you've got to fix it. And at the time, we couldn't. We couldn't get refinanced. We weren't allowed to. No bank would touch us. So we had to sell the property and we lost all of our super. 
Both our super combined. It's 40 years of age. I'd lost hundreds of thousands of dollars of super. I'd gone back to basically zero. And all this bitterness and anger started rising up in my heart. For days and weeks, I'm just praying and, and I'm seeking God. And, 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 and I found that in that time, my heart started to shift and change. That the bitterness and the anger started to, to dissipate and I, and I actually started praying for them. Started praying that they would come to know the Lord, that they would come to know what they're doing is wrong and they would turn and repent and walk in the ways of Jesus. And I remember looking back at that time and going, wow, the, the gospel has actually changed something in my heart. Because prior to that, prior to becoming, before I became a Christian, I would have been vengeful. I would have been seeking vengeance. I would have hunted them down. I would have tried to get back what was mine. But the gospel had shifted something in my heart. Rick Rowan says, You know when you've experienced grace and you feel like you've been forgiven because you're a lot more forgiving of other people. You're a lot more gracious to others. You see, when we understand the gospel, when we understand how much we've been forgiven, that actually shifts something in our heart. The question is today, what is forgiveness? How do we receive it? You see, because unless we understand we've been forgiven, it's impossible for us to even contemplate forgiving others. Is forgiveness just simply asking God for forgiveness? Is it simply just saying, oh God, I'm sorry and it's done? No, it's not. And here is where I think we fail as a church to teach this, what, what the Bible actually says, because many people around the world think receiving forgiveness of God is simply just saying, oh, I'm sorry, and then living exactly the same as before. Just continue on sinning. You know those stickers you see on the cars, Jesus loves you? Like you ask anyone in the Western world, who's Jesus? And they go, oh, well, Jesus died for my sin, as if that's it. That they can just say that and then they're, they're forgiven. But here's the biblical truth. It is faith in Jesus, but if you truly believe the gospel, if you truly believe in Jesus, then you'll believe what the Bible says about forgiveness. And we need to know, when we actually ask God to forgive us our sins in this prayer, there are some factors that actually make this request genuine and effective to receive that forgiveness. And I want to walk through what they are. The first thing we need to do is confess that we have sinned. Verse 12 of this prayer is a prayer of confession. So what's confession? Well, confession of sin is admitting that what we've done is wrong. It's sinful. And what we do is we come into agreement with God that our actions and words were wrong. You see, in a court of law, when someone actually admits to a sin or confesses a crime, what they're saying is, I agree that I've actually violated a crime here. I've violated the law. So when we confess our sins, we're admitting we've actually violated God's law. We admit what we've chose to, to do or say or think is something that's opposed to God's will. And we actually stand guilty before him. And we admit that God is the one that actually sets the law. And the gospel is something, it's not simply believing Jesus died for our sins, it is that. But we must believe that Jesus had to die for our sins. That we must believe that we are sinners in desperate need of a saviour. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us sitting here have not sinned. And unfortunately, there's several factors that, that can hinder or prevent our confession of sin. And, and one is, I think it's the strongest, is pride. 
I think this is the most common and most powerful barrier to the human heart. We don't like it when we're wrong. Who loves here admitting that they've done wrong? None of us, right? We don't like it. Why? Because it hurts our pride. You see, pride rushes in to justify, to explain, to blame shift, instead of actually taking responsibility and confessing, you know what, I've done something wrong. And I know for me, when I'm going back to a person I've either bad mouthed or lied to or hurt in some way, it's absolutely humiliating, right? But it's interesting that humiliating is, has the same root word as humility. You see, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Part of humility is actually taking responsibility for my sin and asking forgiveness even when it doesn't feel good, because it never does. And what God wants to do, he wants to heal and restore those relationships, but it's not easy. But the beautiful thing about this verse is it actually promises he will give us the grace we need if we're willing to humble ourselves. It actually takes humility and it means we have to be steadfast in our resolve to destroy pride in our lives and be humble. So I want to ask you the question, is pride stopping you from asking forgiveness from God and from others? Another factor that hinders us confessing of sin is ignorance. I mean, in our modern age, people have grown more biblically illiterate. And hearts have actually grown cold to, towards God and the things of God. Society's walking away from the biblical truths that many of our laws were actually founded on. They're going, oh, we don't need that archaic law anymore. And they're walking away from the truth that we find in God's word. And the neglect of scripture means that many, including Christians, are ignorant of God's word and his will and his standards and his law. Today, we have every Bible translation under the sun on our phone but we're either too busy or too distracted to, to even read it. Or even worse, we have this attitude of, of ignorance is bliss, where we even resist learning more about God's word in fear it will actually make us feel guilty about how we're living our lifestyles. So some Christians actually indulge in their sinful desires with little remorse, preferring to sort of remain in the dark or ignorant than know the truth and actually turn away from their sin. And here's the truth, church. God holds us accountable for everything he's entrusted to us. So ignorance is no excuse for not confessing our sins to God to be forgiven. Like we will all stand before God one day. We'll all stand before him guilty in our own sin. And we can't say to him, oh, I had no idea. We'll go, really? You had no idea? You have more access to my word than any generation that's ever been before you. We actually didn't want to know his word. And the Bible teaches there's two ways to confess sin. One is we confess our sins to God. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we stand before God and we go, God, yes, I am a sinner. I confess that I've sinned. I've walked away from your law. I've done what is not good or right. Lord, I confess those sins. The Bible says, here's a promise we can all take that in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. He is faithful and just because Christ paid for those sins for us. And the second way we confess our sins is to other believers. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. 
There is this power when we gather together as brothers and sisters and we confess to one another, this is what I'm struggling with. It's not condemnation. It's just saying, I need your help. Because every one of us struggle with sin. To have a brother and sister by your side going, cool, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to keep you accountable. It's such a beautiful thing. And when we've wronged someone, it's actually appropriate for us to confess our sin and seek for forgiveness and actually say, will you forgive me? Here's the thing, though. We can't force people, we can't force someone to actually forgive us. But we should always make that option available to them so bitterness doesn't, doesn't swallow them up. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if I've wronged someone and I go up to them and I say, I'm so sorry for what I did, would you forgive me? And they're like, no, nah, I don't want to ever speak to you again, blah, blah, blah. There's nothing I can do about that. The Bible says, as much as up to you, as children of God, you're meant to seek peace, you're meant to seek forgiveness, but we can't control people. So if someone doesn't want to forgive, that's totally up to them. And there are other times when our sin's not against a person, specifically, but we confess it anyway to Christian brothers and sisters as a way of becoming accountable for change. Like I said before, there's, there's things that's not, I'm not sinning against Dwayne as such, but maybe I have lust in my heart. Maybe there's pride in my heart. Maybe there's greed. Maybe I'm indulging in things I shouldn't. Maybe I have anger issues. And when I share that with a brother or sister, there's power in standing together and praying for one another. Sometimes it's not against someone. Sometimes it's sin that we're actually doing to ourselves. We're chained by. You see, when we have sin that's not confessed, we're actually bound by it. And it doesn't matter if the chain is one foot long or if it's 100 meters long. You're still bound. You're still where Satan wants you. Satan's happy for you to be, to be bound in either unconfessed sin or unforgiveness. He doesn't care. Alan Redpath says, It's Satan's delight to tell me that once he's got me, he will keep me. But at that moment, I can go back to God and I know that if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me. You see, Satan wants you to think that you're bound in your sin and there's nothing you can do about it. But when we confess it, we take that power away from him. And God forgives us. The age-old saying of confession is good for the soul, it's true because God wants us to live with a clear conscience and a pure heart towards him. And this is only possible if we regularly confess our sins and forsake them, keeping the model of Jesus' prayer in verse 12. People often say, why do I have to keep asking for forgiveness? Didn't Jesus pay for my sin? 100% he did, but Jesus teaches us to come each day and, and confess whatever sin is bound we're bound by is to confess to him this is where I'm not walking in line with you that we would be forgiven but that we would turn away from it and 1 John 1 8 says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us this is where the world is going right now everyone's saying around the world there's no such thing as sin do whatever pleases you how can some person tell another person that's wrong everyone is walking away from the love and the grace and the mercy of God that we find in his law. So the first thing we need to do is confess that we're actually sinners. And related to that confession is repentance. You see, confession involves what we did is admitting what we did is wrong. But repentance is, is a desire to actually change course and not do it again. You see, if we only acknowledge our sin, we've got to acknowledge it. But we've also got to make steps to, to overcome it. You see, confession without repentance, it's only words. You see, most people will confess their sins if they're caught red-handed. Like, oh, okay, I'll confess it. But they have no intention of changing their ways. 
they show, they show this remorse because of the consequences of being caught, but, but their sin's not going to be changed. They're still going to act out that way. And it's really interesting. John the Baptist, he challenged the people of his time. When Jesus was coming, he was preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah, to come to die for the sins of the world. And he says this to the Pharisees and the teachers. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he's challenging the hearers not to merely confess their sins, but to demonstrate that by their actions, to how they actually live their life. He's like, bear fruit, live your life as if you actually repented. So what is repentance? If one of your family or friends said to you, hey, tell me, what's repentance? What would you say to them? How would you answer them? Well, the word in the Bible literally means an act of changing one's mind. The biblical repentance goes beyond remorse, regret, or feeling bad about our sin. It involves turning away from sin. Erdman's Bible Dictionary includes this definition of repentance. It says, In its fullest sense, it is a term for a complete change of orientation involving a judgment on the past and a, a deliberate redirection for the future. Repentance is where we're sinning, we're walking this way, we're engaging in sin and then we think that if we just confess and go, sorry God, and just keep walking that way, then everything's fine. That is not repentance, that's just confession. If I'm walking the way of sin, repentance is me going, oh, I've just recognised what I'm doing is wrong, it's against God's law, it's against people, it's not loving. I actually need to do an about face 180 degrees and start walking towards God and his way and his grace. It's actually putting things in place like accountability processes to keep me guarded to be on that journey towards God. It's not just walking in sin, it's turning away from it and turning in a totally different direction. Now, do we do this perfectly? No, we don't. But true repentance is walking in a different direction. And even though we stumble and we fall and, and sometimes we look back, Repentance is a determination to walk in the ways of Jesus, guided by God's word and by his Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, repentance or wholehearted turning to God, it's this reoccurring theme, especially in the message of the prophets. They called Israel and people to repentance all the time. And repentance was actually demonstrated in action. It wasn't just a word that's thrown around like we have in today in Christianity. Oh, just repent. We think, oh, that just means say sorry. No, they understood it actually was a, a thing they did in action. They would actually fast or they would pray or they would wear sackcloth or they'd sit in ashes or they'd lament. And they expressed this song, strong sorrow. And, and these rituals, they were accompanied by this authentic repentance, which involved a recommitment, a renewed relationship with God to walk in obedience with his word and right living. When the ancient prophets beckoned people to repent and turn, they were calling for a complete turnaround. Is that how we see repentance today? When you hear the word repent, do we think, oh, it's a complete turnaround? Because that's what the Bible teaches. And the theme of repentance, it continues through the New Testament, beginning with John the Baptist and then Jesus. They both preach the same message. That is urgent call. They say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus continually says that. And many people chose this radical restoration for their lives, and they did. They demonstrated that repentance through baptism and a whole change of life. And this is what we celebrate today when we go down to the ocean and we baptize. is we're dying to sin and we're made alive in the life of Christ. 
that the old person, the old Scott is dead, all of his sin is dead, and when I came out of the water, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to walk in his ways. You know, the focus of Jesus' mission was to call sinners to repentance. Luke 5.32 says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's asking for this radical, absolute surrender to his lordship. In Luke 13, 5, he says, But unless you repent, you too will perish. It doesn't say unless you just say sorry. It says unless you repent, you will perish. According to Jesus, without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. And repentance means that we recognize that our sin is offensive to God and it's caused a chasm between us and him. It's broken our relationship. And through repentance, we make this about face, our heart, and we direct our heart and return to God and we go towards God and we come under his lordship. But here's the beautiful thing, that when we actually repent, when we confess our sins and repent and turn back to God, he forgives us our sins. That one John verse says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's because Jesus has paid the price. Jesus took on your sin and my sin, and when we come to him in repentance, a heart turning towards him and a recognition that we have sinned, it says there is a promise there that your sins are forgiven. He cleanses us through the blood of Christ. And I love Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord on my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, all of it, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is a person who understands that all their sin has been forgiven, that all their sin has been wiped out, that they come before him in such humble awe and wonder the fact that you've washed away all my sin, all my iniquity. It's absolutely beautiful. A.W. Pink says it this way. It says, after grief for sin, there should be joy for forgiveness. You know, sin grieves us, the fact that we walk away from God, but there is so much more joy in the grace and the mercy of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ should bring up this crazy joy of our, of our salvation inside of us. And verse 12 is a daily reminder of that grace that's been poured out on each and every one of us that calls ourselves the son or daughter of God. So God's forgiveness is awesome, right? Yeah, it's awesome. But there's a second part to this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And he says, as we forgive those who sin against us. C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Like, we love the gospel, right? We love that I've been forgiven of all my sin. You know, I came to faith at 33 years of age. So I'm like, great, yeah, 33 years is wiped clean. That's awesome. And then I'm called to actually forgive others. Becomes hard, right? Did you know that forgiveness is actually a command of God? God commands us, his people, his children, to forgive like he forgives. Multiple times through the gospel, Jesus commands his disciples to forgive. And he actually tells a parable to explain what he actually means. So he's talking to his disciples and he tells this parable in Matthew 18. And he talks about a master and a servant. Now the servant owed the master a huge amount of money. Say it was $100,000. And the master says, bring me the servant. The servant comes, he goes, pay me what you owe me. The servant goes, oh, have mercy upon me, Lord. I actually can't pay you. I don't have it. I will repay you. I just don't have it. Please have mercy upon me. And the master goes, you know what? 
I'm actually going to forgive you the entire debt. You don't have to pay me a cent. Go. And so he leaves. So he's pumped, right? Just got 100 grand, fully wiped clean, doesn't have to worry about it. He goes out in the street and he sees a guy who owes him 100 bucks. And he grabs the guy. He goes, dude, you owe me 100 bucks. And that guy begs the servant. He says, oh, please, I don't have the $100 on me. Would you please have mercy upon me? I'll get it when I can. He goes, nah, takes him to the jailers and they throw him in jail. The master hears what the servant did. So we pick it up in verse 32. He says, then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all back that he owed. He goes, you wicked servant. I forgave you that whole entire debt because you begged me and then you've gone out and not had any mercy or grace on the person who owed you a tiny bit. You know what? You're going into jail and you're going to pay every single cent. And then Jesus actually says one of the most shocking statements in Scripture. The very next verse, he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Ouch. That's a pretty heavy verse right there. What do we do with that? Jesus is saying, hey, you've been forgiven all this debt and you're not going to forgive someone else. Guess what? You're going to be handed over to someone. When we don't forgive, when we don't understand the gospel and what we've been forgiven and we don't forgive others, we're handing ourselves over to Satan, the accuser. We put ourselves in his hand. We give him a foothold to cause bitterness and anger and horror in our lives. We put ourselves in his hands Because he's bitter. There is no forgiveness for Satan. The Bible is very clear. At the end of time, he'll be thrown in the lake of fire. And he knows his time is short. And he loves it when he gets to mess with Christians who are in bitterness and unforgiveness. You ever heard the saying, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies? That's what we do to ourselves when we're in unforgiveness. We're bitter and angry. And we Christians can act the same as that wicked servant sometimes. We've been forgiven millions and billions of sins that we've committed. We're forgiven through Jesus Christ, but then we don't forgive someone when they say something horrible to us in a meeting. Or they lie to us. Or they don't ring us back when they said they would. And we hold this bitterness and anger against them. And we say, well, that person that sinned against me, they don't deserve forgiveness. If that is the case, we don't understand the gospel of Jesus. Because you don't deserve forgiveness from God either. That's why it's called grace. Grace is love undeserved. None of us deserve it, but God's love and mercy and grace is poured out on us. If we don't forgive, we're actually the biggest hypocrites in the world. Why? Because we preach forgiveness of sins. We preach the cross of Jesus Christ, and then we don't forgive others. We actually don't live out the main message we preach to the world. It's no wonder Christianity is looked on with confusion from people who aren't in it because most of the time we don't practice what we preach. C.S. Lewis says, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So how do we forgive? It's so hard and complex, amen? Knowing it's commanded of us doesn't really help when we're 
when we're gripped with pain and hurt and the sea of emotions that goes on when people sin against us. And I need to say this, it's easy for me to stand here and tell you to forgive. But I have no idea what's been going on in your life. I have no idea how hurt you've been, how people have abused you. I have no idea the hurt that is inside from others. So I'm not standing here saying, I know all things, this is super easy, you just got to do it. I don't know what you've gone through. But I am standing here saying, I want to stand with you in prayer. I want to stand with you in the gospel. And I think there's something we can learn here together. The other thing I want to say is there is this, this idea sometimes in the church that to forgive means you stay. So if a woman is being abused physically or emotionally or spiritually in a relationship, that if she's a Christian, she has to stay in that. That's forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. We need to hear this. You need to remove yourself from that situation. You need to get safe. You can forgive that person, but it doesn't mean you stay in that abusive situation if kids are being abused. We've got to be wise around this. It's like just because I forgave those guys that ruined my super, I've got to be wise. I don't go back then and do dealings with them. I go, yeah, I can forgive you, but probably not going to do any more dealings with you guys in the future because I need to be wise. So please hear, forgiveness is not putting yourself in danger. And if that is the case, we would love to stand with you and help give you options to get you out of that situation. Forgiveness is hard and it's complex and it's not easy. And to give an example of forgiveness but not being easy, even though we know we've been forgiven, is the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Now, I heard that you've heard about her over the last couple of weeks. Now, Corrie would um, go and preach the gospel, but she was in the uh, concentration camp called Auschwitz. So she was a Jew, and her sister and her father died in that camp. And she got out, thankfully. And she went round preaching the gospel, telling how through prayer God met them in that place, how he protected them, how he was there with her in the horrors of those concentration camps. I can't imagine what she went through. And one day, her faith was tested. The gospel she preached was tested. As she finished her message, this man from the back started walking to the front to meet her. Now, he didn't know who she was, but she saw him, and she recognized him. He was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. And she can remember the cruelties that he'd done. And he comes walking up to the front, and he says, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, concentration camp. I've become a Christian. God's forgiven me of all the horrible things I've done. I asked one of my very victims, will you forgive me? And he stuck out his hand. Corey says, I couldn't. I couldn't lift my hand to him. I hated him. I can remember the dying words of my sister. I can remember walking naked in front of him. I couldn't. And then she prayed this prayer. She says, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. In the act of the will, she lifted her hand and she stuck it out. And she said, in that moment, the manifest presence, the love of God came down upon me and flowed through me and through my hand and into him. And there was this manifestation of God's healing power and his presence. And she goes on to write, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She's like, she hated him. 
but she could act out of her will. Forgiveness, most of the time, it's an act of the will. It's not an act of our feelings. And you see, she accessed the manifest power of God through an act of the will, not through her feelings. But in her head, she knew the love and grace and the forgiveness of God, and she chose to act out of that, and the awesome power of God flowed through her and healed them both. And she says after that encounter, she says, you've never so touched the ocean of God's love when you forgive your enemies. She's like, God's love is like the ocean. She goes, all I did in that moment when I forgave my enemy was just put my toe in. That's how much love and mercy and grace is in the heart of God. And she said, I only just put my toe in and I could barely, barely resist it. I could barely like handle it. If we dove into the depths of God's love and forgiveness and mercy, we'd probably die. She goes, you want a taste of the love of God? You want a taste of how good God is? Forgive your enemies. And I love in her book, The Hiding Place, she goes on about her encounters of forgiveness after this moment. And you would think that after this moment of having this encounter with with an enemy like that, that she'd be able to forgive anyone, right? But I love her honesty. She writes of a couple that she was in church with that they had a falling out. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, there was this bitterness in her heart, this anger in her heart. And she'd wake up. She couldn't sleep. She'd wake up in the middle of the night and be praying, God, help me forgive. Help me forgive. Help me forgive. It was this ongoing struggle. You know, forgiveness, it's a lifetime struggle. It's a lifetime decision to, to act out of the will to forgive. So don't feel ashamed about how you feel. We all get hurt. Choose to forgive. Does a band want to come up? Thomas Fuller, I love this quote. He says, He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. For every man has the need to be forgiven. He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. For every man has need to be forgiven. There is a chasm between us and God. That chasm, that bridge has been broken down because of our sin. We chose to reject God in the garden. Everything was perfect. And sin entered into the human heart. And each and every one of us have sinned against God. We've sinned against each other. We've sinned against his creation. And that has caused death in our souls. That we are dead in our sins. That we have eternal separation from God. But Jesus Christ came and said, I'm going to build a bridge. I myself am going to be the bridge that bridges the gap between your sin and a holy and righteous God. And when I go to the cross, I'm going to absorb the sin of you and of me. And anyone who would repent and turn away from unbelief and put their faith and trust in Jesus receives that forgiveness. Gets access over that bridge to the love and the mercy of God where God forgets all of our sin. It is done, it is cleansed, it is washed away for eternity and we get to spend eternity in relationship with an awesome, mighty, loving God. That's the beauty of the gospel. Our sin has been freely forgiven, freely dealt with. If we believe the gospel, we will embody the gospel to others with a forgiving heart, a heart ready to forgive that everyone who doesn't know the love of God will go, why are you like that? I go, let me tell you about a God that forgave me a huge debt, massive debt, a debt that I could not pay. Question is, are you a signpost of radical forgiveness? 
living a life that points to the cross of Jesus Christ. So what do we learn from this verse 12? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. When we pray verse 12 of the Lord's Prayer, when we're asking God to forgive us, it's a deeper request. It includes confession and repentance. And out of the knowledge that we've actually been forgiven, all of our sins have been forgiven. It's been freely forgiven of us. We are compelled by the Spirit of God to forgive others. Forgiveness is commanded because we are children of God. And if we are children, we should uphold the family message of love and grace and forgiveness. Because you know what? Forgiveness, it's the ultimate form of selfless love. And we see that ultimate form of selfless love demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. If we truly know the gospel, we will be the gospel to others. George MacDonald says, Forgiveness is the giving and so receiving of life. When we forgive, we give life. When we forgive, we receive life from God because we're acting in His character and His nature. When God forgives, He gives us life and life eternal. This prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is to, is to transform our hearts it's so that our heart will be in line with the character and the nature of God. The final question I want to ask is, is your heart in line with God's heart today? Will you forgive? Because He's forgiven us. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now. Lord, that you would descend on this place. Your holiness, your righteousness. Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction in our hearts. But not only conviction, that your love and your mercy and your grace would descend on this place, Lord. That we would know in these moments, if we would just come to you and confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we know that in the depths of our hearts right now, that there is nothing that we cannot bring to you. So Holy Spirit, come. Bring your conviction. In this moment of prayer, you might be sitting there and you've actually never received the forgiveness of God. You've never understood that, that we need to confess and repent, but that God would wipe away all your sin. You might be sitting there thinking, I've sinned way too much. You can't out-sin the grace of God. Jesus paid the price. You just need to receive it. God wants a relationship with you right now. So I would ask us as we sing this next song that we would come to the altar. We would come to God with, with our sin. We would come to God with our unforgiveness, with our bitterness. That we would come to God and commune with Him and, and ask Him to align our hearts with His. Make it be an act of the will. So as we stand... Let's come towards God because God is ready. God is waiting. 
He never left you. He never forsook you. No matter what you've done or where you've been, He's ready for you to confess because He wants to restore and redeem you.